Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So that's the prophet Jeremiah, several centuries before Christ, prophesying that this law that was given to Moses, this covenant, would be superseded by a new covenant. And this new covenant, God would do some things that were a little different. He said he would write it on their hearts. No longer will the law be an outward observing ordinance. It would be something that is within them. The law of God would be written on their hearts. In other words, the faith and belief and experience of God would be within us through the power of the Holy Spirit and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jesus observed the law, and so did his parents. Luke 22, it says, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That indicates that they were poor, by the way. You go back and you look at the offerings in Leviticus chapter 1, I believe. If you were poor, you couldn't afford a sheep. You could give these as an alternative. So that kind of gives you an indication that uh, Jesus wasn't from a wealthy family. In Luke chapter 2, verse 39, it says, And when they had performed everything according to the law, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So they did everything according to the law. They were obedient to the law because the law was given by God, and the Bible says the law is holy. So the law is also, as with many things in the Old Testament, a picture of something in the future. I've heard it said that the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. The New Testament is Jesus revealed. And you're going to see a lot of things in the Old Testament that actually point towards Christ. God had the plan all along, and he gave glimpses of what was going to come in several different places in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we confirm this, Colossians 2.16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So this is beyond the law. This is now in the new covenant, the covenant of grace that Paul, the former Pharisee, is saying, hey, don't let people judge you. Don't feel bad when they say things about you because you're not doing certain things. You're not obeying certain dietary things, food and drink, or you're not observing certain feasts or new moons, or you're not obeying or keeping the Sabbath. And he goes on in verse 17, he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are things that are pointing towards Christ. In Hebrews 8, 5, it says, they served a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent or the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. The blueprints for the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, God showed him what it looks like in heaven. He said, this is what I want you to build, Moses, because in heaven there is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. That's the new covenant. 
since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So in other words, there was a problem with the old covenant. And it wasn't that it wasn't holy. The problem was that it didn't cleanse you of your sin. It showed you your sin. It identified sin. It showed you how to atone for your sin, but it had no power to cleanse your heart, unlike the new covenant with Christ in us. Hebrews 10.1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. The law cannot perfect somebody in the sight of God. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished. An iota and a dot were the smallest forms of punctuation, kind of like our periods and commas and things like that. So he's saying, I'm going to fulfill the law. And there's still things in the law that have yet to be fulfilled. There's lots of stuff in the Old Testament that refer to or allude to the second coming of Christ. In Hebrews 8, 13, it says, speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, he being Jesus. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. And so you see that Jesus actually is fulfilling the law. When you get into the feasts of the law, there's seven feasts. It's really a fascinating study because it points toward Jesus fulfilling everything, including the Sabbath. We're going to get into that in a second. In Leviticus chapter 23, it says that there are seven feasts, the Passover. The Passover feast was initiated in Egypt when they were getting ready to move from Egypt on out to the promised land. And they would take a lamb, they would examine it, and then they would kill the lamb, and they would put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost, and that blood protected them when the angel came by and killed the firstborn of all the unbelievers. You can read about that back in Exodus. That is a picture of Jesus. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Revelation, he's described as a lamb that had been slain. So he fulfills the Passover by his blood protecting the believer from judgment of God. The second feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unleavened bread is bread without yeast. Leaven is yeast. And in the New Testament, you see that yeast is a picture of sin, how it corrupts and puffs up. That's how it makes the dough rise. And so Jesus, he said, I am the bread of life. And in him, there was no sin. You can see how the feast of sinless bread would fit that. Then you have the feast of first fruits. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. And then verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming who belong to Christ. So he's referring to Christ as the first fruits. The feast of Pentecost or the harvest. This feast occurred 50 days after the Passover. Acts chapter 2, the feast of Pentecost, when there was a great harvest of 3,000 people. It was on that feast day, the feast of Pentecost. It, it's about the harvest, bringing in the harvest. These four feasts were fulfilled by Jesus. And the last three, the feast of trumpets, that is an allusion most likely to the rapture of the church where the trumpet blows and the dead rising Christ. And then you have the Day of Atonement. That's looking at the second coming of Christ where he comes back and sets everything right. And then the Feast of Tabernacles when he comes and dwells with us. That's the millennial kingdom. So you can see that four of these have already been fulfilled. The three are yet to come. That's just one example of a chapter in the scriptures where there's a lot of things that point to Jesus. So in the Sabbath, He is our rest. He fulfills the Sabbath day, just like he fulfills the first four feasts, and he will fulfill the next three feasts at his coming. 
So the Sabbath, he is our rest. Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4, when you read that, it talks about how the unfaithful would not enter into that rest that God had when Moses delivered them out of Egypt. They were going to the promised land, and they didn't believe. And so they weren't able to enter that rest. It says in Hebrews 4.1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, this is current, let us fear that any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere else spoken of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That rest is still to come for those who haven't entered it. It comes in Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath. Thank you.